Bob, a man in recovery. Um, I'll give you a warning. I, I don't plan what I'm going to say. I like to be just as surprised as you are what comes out my mouth, which happens a lot, <laughs> being surprised. Uh, I, was, I was raised in a single parent home. Uh, my father left when I was in diapers. Uh, I mean, I, I knew him to see him, but I didn't know him. Which I don't know if that has anything to do with my alcoholism or not. Doesn't matter. Uh, I had a lot of trouble in school. I had uh, it, only back then they didn't know what it was. First, I was left-handed, and they used to come by and grab the thing out of your pen or whatever and put it in your out of your left hand, put it in your right hand, that kind of stuff. That was no big deal. I was stubborn enough to stay left-handed. Uh, but I also suffered from attention deficit disorder. So when we got in first grade, they had the group, I guess the kingdom garden teacher did it, separated by how smart they thought they were. In one week, I went from the smartest group to the dumbest group <laughs> because I was looking out the window. I just couldn't keep my attention on what they were saying. So when they said, Bob, read this, it was, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it progressively got worse. The school stuff at fifth grade, uh, at one point the teacher put my desk out in the hall and told me to stay there. He didn't want me in his classroom anymore. Uh, principal came by and uh, made, made him take me back in the classroom. We also had a little physical alteration. He came by, I had a bad habit, leaning back in my chair. I didn't even know I did it. It was never on purpose, but uh, he came by, grabbed me by the shirt and was shaking me. And I punched him in the mouth. Of course, I didn't hurt him. I was probably only 11 or 10 years old at the time. But that went on for a big deal. Luckily, I uh, calmed it down when I got, uh, we moved that summer new school and probably uh, save my butt because I calmed down a little and I didn't uh, always get in trouble. I managed some, but not always. Uh, my teenage years, uh, towards the end of high school, I just didn't want to go anymore. And I flat refused to go. So uh, they had sent me, had me come to the school and they did a psychological test or whatever the hell they were doing and said I needed some therapy. So I went to the county uh, therapy thing and I was in there five minutes and the guy had his hands inside my pants. Needless to say, I never went back. Uh, and I kind of stayed away from therapy from that bad experience ever since, except for marriage counseling a couple of times. I, uh, I got my first problem in my senior year of high school. I went to a party, got drunk, and I was too drunk to make it all the way home. And I laid down on somebody's lawn and went to sleep. And they woke when I woke up, I was with a flashlight or cops arresting me and throwing me back in the police car. And then I had a call home and said, Ma, I need bail. <laughs> there was two of us in the family. My brother, who was four and a half years older, 
He did everything right. Whatever he was supposed to do, he did it right. His room was like an army inspection set up. Everything folded and put away. And my room, my mother used to just shut the door and leave it that way. Um, I, I went in the army, uh, uh, pretty much had it back in those days. And I ended up going over to Germany. When I went over to Germany, I really didn't like beer that much. I learned to like beer in Germany. <laughs> they have a completely different beer. You can't buy that stuff here. Uh, I, I didn't have a lot of problem with alcohol when I was over there. Uh, I mean, I drank almost every day, but I didn't have that much of a problem. I, uh, so when I got out, I was a helicopter mechanic in uh, the army. So I decided I, I enjoyed doing that. I'll work on planes. So I went to school for it and uh, graduated in January, 1970. But in the early fall of 1969, the bottom fell out of the whole industry. And I never got a job. And boy, did I do some victimese talking about that. Uh, but that, that was my uh, thing. Actually, during that period, I wasn't drinking. Why I say I wasn't drinking? I wasn't getting drunk. I was working full-time at night and going full-time in the day to school. And I just didn't have time to drink. Uh, I'd buy, I'd go to my mother's house, cut her lawn, and I'd buy a six pack, and the next week or whenever her lawn needed cutting, I'd go there and there'd be four beers left, and the following week there'd be two beers left. It wasn't until my late 20s. Uh, I met this one lady. A lot of my stories start with, uh, I met a lady somehow. Uh, <laughs> And I discovered the wonders of weed and other substances. And I uh, dove into it with both feet. I remember at work one, one day, uh, we were working overtime and went and got a sandwich and a quart of beer. And, I was, I was drinking the beer and I said, boy, you know, the smoking pot really helped me, you know, enjoy the feeling of drinking. And I, uh, that was really prophetic. I didn't know that at the time. Anyway, long story short, I got into drugs big time. I was a meth addict 40 years ago. Um, Damn near killed myself, and I knew it. So what I uh, what I did is I slowly backed out of the drugs. I won't do this delivery method anymore. I won't use this particular drug. I and I never thought about uh, alcohol because I I didn't get drunk that much. In fact, I went like a couple years without drinking. Of course, I didn't need to drink. I was high all the time. Um, 
I got started real late as far as uh, permanent relationships, <laughs> even though none of them have been permanent. <laughs> I, uh, I went on a blind date one uh, time and uh, the other guy's girl went in to pick up the lady I was going to meet. She, I was just taking a hit off a joint when she jumped in the car. She grabbed it out of my mouth, took this big monster hit off of it. And I says, oh, it's looking good. <laughs> we, we went to a club that night, got drunk, danced, went home. And Bob was in love. <laughs> That's all it took back then. I was in love. I found the perfect woman. And I married my drinking partner which is pretty late in life. I was about 40 years old by the time I got married the first time. Uh, and it was quite a stormy relationship, shall we say. Um, we, we used to punch holes in the walls, break the door, or I used to break the doors. She punched holes in the walls. And I remember one particular night, she punched a hole in the wall. I grabbed the hole to the railing, come down the stairs. I yanked, yanked that off. Then she went up, locked herself in the bedroom, and I kicked the bedroom door in. Never touched her, but I just kicked the door in. You can't lock me out in my own home. The funny thing is, I thought that was okay. You see, I was a carpenter. I knew how to fix this stuff. So I fixed patch. I don't know how many times I patched the walls, the doors, the different things. Uh, and needless to say, that relationship was going downhill. I mean, we were married, I think, 14 years, but still it went downhill pretty rapidly. Uh, I just wasn't smart enough to leave. One night, now, now we're living in in this two-family house in New Jersey. She's on the right side upstairs. I'm on the left side downstairs. We couldn't have been farther apart in the same house. And then we used to have hallway sex. We walk by one and say, oh, fuck you. And the other one say, fuck you too. Uh, she came home one night, very defiant, and she had her hands on her hips. And I'm going to Al-Anon. And I'm thinking, damn, what a traitor. <laughs> Here, we got together as drinking partners. And now you're, you're, you're ratting me out, trading me, whatever. And uh, this went on a couple of weeks. And I remember sitting there, because she used to park the car in the garage and go up the stairs. And I said, you know, this Al-Anon stuff isn't so bad. She doesn't say anything. She just walks by and leaves me alone. At that point in my life, that's all I wanted. There, there was uh, quite often a uh, thing going back and forth between us. And just what do you want? I want peace and quiet. And uh, which there wasn't much of in that house. And I was just as at fault with it as she was. Um, we finally uh, got divorced. And I moved on and fell in love again within the first year. <laughs> that one didn't last as long. Uh, we ended up, oh, 
just about the time I met that second wife, I found out I had hepatitis C. I've been sober already. Uh, but let me back up. I forgot a little bit of it, which is going to happen because I, I don't have things all laid out. When I said I don't plan, I don't plan what I'm going to say because it never comes out my mouth the way I planned it. I, uh, you know, she'd come home, mount, she was in and out, going to Al Anon. I'm going to take a guess a month or two later, she came home and announced she was going to AA meetings. She thought she was an alcoholic. I was a daily drinker, every day, blackout drinker, sloppy, fall down, drunk at the end. She was more of a periodic. I was a little uh, uh, skeptical of her because I thought she was just trying to maneuver me to go to AA. And I'll be damned if I was going to go. <laughs> I, uh, so she, she was going out the house every night, going to a meeting, I'm going to a meeting. I never asked her why or where or when or any questions about it because that's how I was going to get wrapped up in this. I did get wrapped up in it. <laughs> uh, see, I, I was watching. There was a, I could see an improvement in her. She was getting better. And I was just drinking more. And I kind of wanted what uh, she had. I mean, the sobriety. <laughs> uh, so one Saturday morning, she uh, said, you want to come with me to a meeting? Said, yeah, all right, why not? And I went and there was a pretty big, it was a big book meeting. It was a pretty big group. And the three of us sitting against the back wall, of course, were all newcomers. And one after the other, we just put our hand up. And yeah, I'm Bob, alcoholic. It wasn't traumatic to me or anything. I knew I was an alcoholic for years. And I, the first couple steps and stuff, Oh, hell, I, I had that down pat. I, I knew I was an alcoholic. I knew I couldn't stop drinking on my own. I wasn't sure if I could do it in AA either, but I knew I couldn't do it on my own. So I spent the first six to eight weeks going to meetings. I had no one's telephone number. I didn't have a sponsor. I didn't go every day. I didn't follow any of the suggestions that they give to new people. I kept getting drunk. Uh, I woke up one morning and I felt worse than I ever felt in my life up here in my head. I drank the night before. And through that day, I kept thinking about it. And it finally came to me that I've been going to meetings and the vast majority of people in those meetings, they were sober and they were happy i was neither one and finally dawned on me maybe i should do what they're saying so that night i got a sponsor i joined a home group i started going to meetings every day oh uh i i, I have a habit of overdoing things so when i first came in they uh they said well you got to get a home group well, in the area I uh, got sober in, there were no clubs or anything. Almost every group had one meeting a week, and that was it. So I ended up with seven home groups. Uh, figured I'd cover all the bases. 
And I had jobs in most of them. That's one thing I could say. I, I've done service from day one, uh, all kinds of service. And I, I believe it had a big, big part in keeping me sober. Just my opinion. Uh, anything I say today is just my opinion. <laughs> uh, except for the experience part. I, uh, you know, I had the sponsor. I, I, I started working the steps. I, I didn't really, I wasn't too much into this God stuff. I gave that up when I was a teenager. I remember when I went in the army, they give you the dog tags. And uh, if you're dead, they come by and they read the dog tag. And at the very last thing they have on the dog tag is, who do you want to say prayers over you uh, if you're you know, dead in combat? I put down no preference. I'd have put down nobody, but that, that wasn't a choice. <laughs> it was either the different religions or no preference. And so I was no preference back then. But when I first came in AA, I figured, well, all these people are saying it, let me give it a shot. So I tried to act as if, to this day, it still drives me crazy to fake it till you make it. Program of rigorous honesty, and they're telling me to fake it. I just, that, that one always blew my mind. Uh, but I, uh, I got the steps done. I, I believe I got some good benefit out of them, at least as far as knowing myself and what was driving a lot of my actions, which was a complete surprise to me in a lot of senses. I didn't so much think of things that I hadn't didn't know before when I was doing my fourth step, but I, I realized I had one action that I followed consistently. I'd get a buzz on before I go do certain things, uh, especially sexual things that were out of the uh, norm. Uh, I always had a pint before I went. Uh, it was just, since I stopped drinking, I haven't done most of those things anymore. Uh, I, 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 I married the second time we moved to Florida. I, had, uh, I, uh, I was working as a carpenter at Rutgers University, and then I, I had several promotions along the way, and I was a construction supervisor. Or you want to hear a bureaucratic title? I was the supervisor of construction inspection. Oh, damn, there was another word. Anyway, I, I was running the jobs. Uh, and I moved myself from a really state-funded job to what was called a uh, grant-funded job. You had a job as long as there was money there from that grant. So this was project I went on was a $200 million project. We were still working on the first hundred million, and 9-11 came along. There was no second hundred thousand dollars or million dollars going into that project. It just stopped dead. 
I was only uh, 56 years old at the time. I, uh, I, I just decided to hell with it, I'd ride, ride it out because I had a, that temporary carpenter's job that I got 27 years earlier and I was still working there. I had enough time I could uh, collect a pension. So we moved down to Florida. Now I got sober in AA in New Jersey, not that far from the city. If any of you there was uh, Piscataway, New Brunswick, Edison area. And they were fairly careful with their, how they almost well, anytime that somebody wanted to say God, they said, my higher power whom I choose to call God. And then I moved down to rural Florida and the Bible Belt. And it just blew my mind. It just blew my mind how religious the meetings were. Uh, there's a big Bible Belt in the, the U.S., so you, there's no avoiding some of it. And I, uh, I, I don't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> Put it that way. <laughs> you know, and I, what the hell are you people talking about? And it was quite a few years before I uh, decided just to openly, I don't believe in God. That's what it came down. I started with, I don't believe in an interventionist God and worked my way through various things. And now just, I don't believe. That's all. I don't have to defend it. I don't have to justify it. It's just what I am. And I used to see people's eyes roll in meetings and stuff. Go, oh, God, what's he going to say now? Uh, because wherever there was a uh, something that didn't make sense, I say it didn't make sense to me. I discovered that there were secular meetings of all different kinds and stuff, but there was none that I could ride to. Wow, I could. I'm getting old, I'm getting lazy. I don't wanna ride an hour and a half to a damn meeting. Uh, when I was young, that, when I first came in, that was great, a bunch of us jump in the van and go anywhere. Uh, but I got to the point, I'm not, and, Plus, never mind going to the meeting and they're all in big cities. You know, I could go to Orlando or Tampa. I think St. Pete's got one, maybe up in Gainesville. But I don't want to go to big cities. Put up with that traffic and stuff. I moved away from that. So I just went and aggravated the local people. You know, like I said, I have service work. I, uh, I've had just about every... Uh, job in AA except for GSR and image. I did intergroup, but I, I just backed out of uh, after that part. I didn't, I didn't think I belonged there. It made me the intergroup rep when I had under a year. And I decided I didn't want to go there anymore after I did my term because I wanted to pick up chairs and throw them at people. <laughs> I had a lot of anger issues when I came in. Uh, so I stayed away from that for a lot of years. 
And then down here, somebody said, well, let's start a club. And I went along with it. I, I thought it would never get off the ground. Damned if it didn't get off the ground. We met in my uh, dining room for the first three years, I think, till we finally had a building and got all the paperwork done and uh, incorporation and 5013C and all that stuff. And we did it all ourselves, a small group of us. I'm really thankful for the club because I learned a lot about myself. And uh, I, I learned I didn't have to put up with all the crap that was given out, but I also learned how I could work within the system. So uh, they, we opened in 2012, last January, I resigned. Uh, I didn't run for their trustee. I'd been their treasurer. Uh, boy, you know, when COVID came by in March of uh, 2019, and oh, all right, Zoom meetings. And then secular Zoom meetings, oh my God. Oh, it was like a kid in a candy store. This is wonderful. And it is wonderful. I love it. Because you're my people. This is my tribe. Probably you've seen about half of at other meetings before, but you're my tribe, even the ones I had, this is the first time I've seen you. And I'm pretty damn happy about that. I uh, I had, uh, like I said, this isn't in order. Let's jump back, 19 uh, December, no, November 13th, 19, no, 2007. I flew back up to New Jersey and picked up my 99-year-old mother and brought her down to Florida and I took care of her for the next three years till she died. First, I would never have done that if I wasn't sober. There's no way I would have done that. And the second thing was kind of, I, I think is kind of funny. I just kept saying, boy, I wish I had a sister. <laughs> that brother who did everything right just wanted to put her in the, the nursing home. And I, no, she said, she don't need a nursing home yet. But there's just something very uncomfortable about a son wiping his mother's butt. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, but we managed to get through it. Uh, you know, I did pretty good in my job and stuff, but taking care of mom was, I'm more proud of that than any of the other stuff I did. Because uh, I was that rotten kid. <sighs> especially, you know, those teenage years. Oh my goodness. How she put up with me is beyond my belief. But I did, I took care of her and I uh, did other things where I thought I could help people. Most of it within AA. Uh, I, my home group's a secular recovery group. Uh, I see Bridget there and a couple of the others have been there. Uh, 
was it March? We I started going there in 2019. In April, I sent an email to them. I want a job. And they said they wrote me back. What kind of job do you want? I said I don't know what kind of jobs you have in secular AA, but I want a job. <laughs> so now I host meetings, co-host meetings. They're bugging me to be their treasurer, and I'm. Uh, I'm really not qualified. I have no accounting background whatsoever except writing my own checkbook. But somehow for like uh, nine or 10 years, I was their treasurer at the club and they didn't get arrested for anything. So I guess it was all done correctly or semi-correctly. I've gotten I really have a whole new attitude and outlook upon life. And I'm one of the guys that if uh, yesterday we had a reading where, uh, oh, it's not about the alcohol. It's, and I'm there, bullshit, it's about the alcohol. That's why I come here. I didn't come here, you know, when I was, just before I came into AA, somebody had come up to me and said, Bob, do you want a personality change? I'd have told them, told them where to shove the personality change and make sure it was sideways. Uh, but it was, Bob, do you want to stop drinking? And Bob wanted to stop drinking. And no matter how long I'm sober, now I see Jeb down there, so I'm not going to cry with the days or anything. Because uh, <laughs> he beats the hell out of mine. <laughs> A couple months ago, I, I, I passed 10,000 days sober. But it doesn't matter. It's not. I remember when I first came in, that was such a big deal. People with time. And as I got it, it doesn't mean that much. The only thing it gives me is experience. This is most things I've been through already. Uh, oh, when I, uh, when I was new, Took a long time to follow, not do what I wanted to do. And I remember my brother-in-law from New Mexico came out. He wanted to go blue fishing in the, off the coast of New Jersey. Now, the last time two of us got together, I ended up with, in a car wreck, DUI. I was going the wrong direction on the interstate and until the bang crash happened. Uh, I was out of it totally, total blackout. I, uh, now my brother-in-law comes to visit and we get on the boat and he looked at me and he says, you didn't tell me I could bring booze on the boat. And I lied and I told him I forgot. I didn't forget, I knew damn well, I didn't want to be with him while he was drinking. So he came back with, uh, I think, three six-packs, stood next to me and started drinking them. We got out of sight of land, started fishing. Nobody carried a cell phone back then. Uh, and I wanted to drink. And I wanted to drink bad. And I remember going in the cabin, there was a couple guys in there who were seasick. And I lay down on one of the benches and I just, don't let me drink, don't let me drink. I was, I was freaking out. 
And after 15, 20 minutes, I uh, was able to get up and go back to the rail, pick my fishing rod up and fish again. Oh, make it worse, we weren't catching any fish. <laughs> uh, so that was a, a big lesson. Another one I learned is uh, my ex, uh, some distant relative, I, I won't even try to go through the whole thing, but there was somebody who died. We're gonna go to the funeral parlor. Well, we stopped at grandma and grandpa's house and I got in the car with them and we didn't just go to the funeral parlor. We went to the church and then we ended up at the VFW and the guy sit for a meal and the guy sitting right across from me goes to the bar, comes back. He's got two long necks hanging from his fingers like this. He's got two shots in his hand. He puts them down on the table. He started drinking like I used to drink. And I got up and walked outside and started pacing the parking lot. I'm going to take a guess, an hour and a half, I paced the parking lot. It was damp cold April weather in New Jersey. And I just paced that parking lot because I knew if I went back inside that building, I was going to drink. Uh, that put my own car thing, making sure I drove or drove with somebody else who didn't drink firmly in my mind. And another big lesson I learned was um, Somebody was getting married and I knew him from work and from meetings and my ex knew his the bride from Al-Anon. Uh, and I was scared shitless. It was under a year, I don't remember exactly, maybe eight months, something like that I had. And, and I remember the one thing I kept saying was, I'll never get out on the floor without booze. I, won't, I can't dance without booze. Um, so anyway, we, we got to the reception at our table and being the bride and groom were both in a program. They uh, had a table of all non-drinkers, luckily. There was a guy right across the dance floor from me. He was sloppy, loud, obnoxious, and drinking like I drank. And I ended up getting like those people when I drank, like he did, loud, obnoxious, and what have you. Well, I found out I could get out on the dance floor. And I could dance without alcohol in my system. But I remember looking over about nine, quarter after nine, this guy's passed out on the table. I'm still up having fun. That was a big lesson. One of the cute ones is I uh, went on vacation in Dominican Republic and uh, my second wife asked me, you going to the manager's cocktail party? I said, why would I want to go to a manager's cocktail party? And she really wanted to go and she wanted me to be with her. So I went, as I walked in the, the room, they were, they were like the 50-50 tickets, they were handing them out to people as you walked in. I won three, three fucking bottles of rum that day and I wasn't drinking anymore. And I'm going like, this never happened when I was 
when I was drinking, never won booze of any kind. Um, I think I'm going to wrap it up because I'm going to probably start making stuff up and telling you lies. And you don't need that. Uh, we'll wrap it up at this point.